I would like to ask you to give me your imagination just for a moment. And I'd like for you to consider yourself the owner, um, the CEO of a rather large corporation. And uh, you're running a very successful business. And it comes time when you need to go to Europe for several months to take care of business there. And so you're going to be leaving your business behind. In preparation for that, you get with your top man and uh, try to train him. You try to tell him everything he needs to take place, everything that needs to be covered. And uh, you spend several months with him in preparation to the time when you're going to be gone. And uh, you, you've covered just about everything. And you say, you know, if I've missed something, I, I intend to stay in touch. We'll email every day. I'll send things, you know, back and forth. And uh, you feel pretty good about it. You go to Europe. You're gone for several months. The emails you send daily are received. And as far as you know, everything has gone fine. You come back home and you walk to your business. And when you uh, pull into the, the parking lot, you notice there's trash in the parking lot. Um, a couple windows have been broken out of your building. You walk in, the receptionist is there. She's chomping on a piece of gum, you know, just looks terrible. And uh, she's talking to a girlfriend on the phone, and he's standing there trying to get her attention. He waits there five minutes before she says, what do you want? And um, he looks at her trash can. It's full. And she, he says, where's, where's the person I left in charge? And she said, oh, I think he's down the hall somewhere. So the man walks down the hall, and he walks into a room, and here's the man he left in charge with about three other employees and are playing video games. They've got a PlayStation, and they're just having a big time. And you're trying to talk to him, and you say, what, what is going on here? I left you in charge. I left you in control. And, and look at this. I, I, there's, and he starts to list the things that he's already seen. And he said, did you not get my letters? And he says, well, of course I did. We got everyone. In fact, those letters were important to us because we would even have meetings on Wednesday night to talk about the letters that you wrote us. And there are a couple guys in here that are fanatical, and they even memorize some of the letters that you sent. And, but yeah, we, we got them all. What, what's the problem? What's the problem? Really? Do you think that that man, do you think you, as the CEO of that company would have reason to be upset when you came back home. All of us would say, of course. But what would you say in response to that man who you left in charge? He said, but wait a second. Um, we got the letters. We read them. We studied them. There's not a single one of them that we ignored. We, we read every single one of them. Uh, obviously, we know the answer to that too. Did you put them into practice? I wasn't writing that just to be read. I was writing those things so that you would follow my instructions and you've not put anything into practice that I've told you about. If we can see that, sometimes stories help us to see and understand the story a little bit better. Isn't that what Jesus did with us? Jesus came to this earth and he lived among us and trained men for a period of time because he was going away. And when he went away, he had his message sent to us even further, delivered to us in letters. What are we doing with those letters? 
are we what God wants us to be in terms of disciples of Jesus? If Jesus were to come back today and, and look at the church and say, what in the world has happened here? Would we feel justified to say, well, now I got your letters. I had three copies of them. I had one on my bedstand and one on my coffee table, and I had one in the glove compartment of my car. I've got them. I've read them. Well, good, but why didn't you put them into place? Practice. You see, that scenario may exist if we don't really understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Disciple shift is what we've been talking about. Are there things in our lives, are there areas of our lives that need to have just a little bit of a tweak, a little bit of a shift to bring us into compliance with what the Lord would have us to be? Sometimes our thinking gets a little muddied and and muddled, and, and sometimes our actions don't live up to what Jesus would have us to do. And so we've been looking at various things that we might just need little shifts in just to keep us in line. And this morning, I want us to talk about discipleship itself. Um, What's it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? It means different things to different people, I'll tell you that. But it means one thing to the Lord. I may have told you, but there was a family that years ago that I knew that they never went to church. Church was burdensome to them. Oh, but they were Christians. You know, every time we had a church directory and, and we put in a bulletin, we're having a church directory, man, they would be there for the picture day. They wanted to make sure they got their schedule, their picture in, because they wanted to be counted, numbered among the Lord's people. But they never did anything. Uh, with respect to the church, uh, they, they wouldn't even take the time to assemble, to worship. But they considered themselves disciples of Jesus, Christians, because they had their picture in the book. And that's, I guess, the book of books to them. Well, that's not what discipleship is. I want us to talk about some changes that we may need to make in our thinking regarding discipleship. And let's begin by looking at Matthew chapter 28. If you have your Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. Jesus, this is part of the Great Commission. Uh, It's listed, given in all the gospel accounts. But in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, "...go therefore and make disciples." of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. What is a disciple of Christ? What's it take to become a disciple of Christ? Well, here's what it takes. Jesus says, I want you to go do something. I want you to make disciples. How do I do that, Lord? Well, it's through a process of being baptized. You don't have unbaptized disciples of Jesus. You're going to baptize them. And what else are you going to do? Well, you're going to teach them to observe whatever I have commanded. So discipleship, a person who is a disciple is one who has been baptized into Christ and who is committed to following whatever the Lord may ask us to do. I may not know all the things that the Lord asks of me or requires of me when I obey the gospel, but I obey with that commitment. 
I say, yes, I am willing to submit myself. I'm willing to be baptized into Christ with the intent that wherever he asks me to go, I'll go. Whatever he asks me to do, I'll do. That's what discipleship is. It's not just saying, ah, I got baptized one time. Yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus. It has more to do, and if that's the way we think, maybe there needs to be a shift in our our thinking. Discipleship has to do with, you know, a process as well as an event. Uh, You know, when a person obeys the gospel, they're a disciple of Jesus, but that discipleship is intended to to go on and, and you mature and you work out the things that you learn from him. What if somebody met you for the very first time, they know nothing of you, and they just shadow you. Have you ever had a job or been in a job where somebody shadows another person? They just, you know, they're just there to observe. They don't get involved. They don't help. They just, they just walk behind and, and observe. What if somebody shadowed you for about a month or so? Everywhere you went, they were there. Every meal you sat down to, they were there. Everything you did, every interaction you had with everybody, they were there. What if somebody shadowed you? Would they come away thinking that person is a follower of Jesus? Do we live our lives distinctively enough that when a person shadows us, follows us, they see that there's some close connection to Jesus because we don't live our lives for ourselves? Or would they be hard-pressed to know, well, what is the most important thing in this person's life? I'm not able to see it clearly. I hope we can, and I hope others can. Discipleship is more than just knowing. It's, it's doing. A, a rather well-known theologian wrote a little parable about ducks. And he said, um, all the ducks got up one Sunday morning, and they got their feathers all straightened, just as good as they could get, and they all waddled to church. And when they got to church, they walked into their duck church, and they walked down to their duck pew, and they sat in their duck pew. And the duck preacher got up at some point, and he began to preach a message to these ducks. And he said, ducks are blessed. Among all of God's creation, ducks may be blessed the most. Because ducks have been given a gift by God, a gift of wings. And with these wings, we ducks can soar like eagles. We can escape the confinements of pins and cages and soar and be free. Thank God for our wings. And all the ducks in unison hollered out, Amen! And they all waddled home. I think they missed the point of the preacher's sermon, don't you? Why would you waddle home when you can soar like an eagle? Why would you not take advantage of the things that you have? It's more than just hearing and giving consent, being a disciple of Jesus. It's doing, it's living, it's putting into practice those things that we learn from God's Word. Discipleship is also more than just an event. It's, it's a process. It's something that we get better at. 
It's hard being a follower of Jesus. Man, he, he did some incredible things. No man has ever lived like him. And for me to have to try to walk in his footsteps as prone to stumbling as I am, that's hard. But I, I, am, I am happy to know passages such as Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. That passage is one of my favorite passages in the Bible because those moments when you do get something right and when you step up and you do something well, maybe nobody knows it. Maybe it's not a public thing. Like if I do something, say something here this morning that resonates with you, you might remember it next week and you might thank me for it. Or if I make a mistake this morning, you'll be sure to do that too, you know, and, and say, hey, you, you did this when you should have done this. And But what if you do things that are never public? Does God know? Does that count for discipleship? Are the disciples only the ones that stand behind a pulpit? Of course not. The Hebrew writer said, God is not unjust to forget your labor of love. There are so many people, so many ways, so many opportunities, so many times that we can minister to people as disciples of Jesus, and no one knows. No one. It's private. They don't see what takes place in your home. A husband who is caring for his invalid wife or a wife who is caring for her invalid husband, they have no idea the sacrifice that is made 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We just see him at church looking all put together. And, and we have no idea the sacrifice, the labor of love that takes place at home behind closed doors. That's discipleship. I've met people that have been shut in. And they have done their best. They can't leave because they have obligations to their, their, their family. There, there's a, a child that's sick or a husband that's sick, someone who is dying. And, and so they're ministering to these people. And invariably, when I visit them, they'll say something like, I feel so guilty about not being at church. I feel so guilty about not being able to worship. I, that's where I want to be, but I just can't do it right now. And it makes me feel guilty. I understand why they say those things. But there's no need to feel guilty. Serving God and fulfilling your role as a disciple sometimes calls you to serve and minister to your family. That's exactly where the Lord would want you, would have you. Um, We can't always do all the things that we'd always want to do. Sometimes we're limited in ways we serve God. And God takes notes. He appreciates. He rewards Did you see, uh, this was, I don't know when this happened, but I saw the video this past week. There was a little boy at a baseball game. Man, when I went to the Pirates games when I was a kid, I always took my glove. Foul ball, man, I'm ready for it. And and never had one hit to me. Well, this boy goes to a ball game. He's got his cap on of the team he's rooting for. And there's a foul ball hit. The, the, The ball boy gets it and just pitches it up in the stands. That boy catches it. He outreaches a smaller boy who wanted the the ball as well. He was rooting for a different team. He had the other colors, the cap of the other team on. And that boy got it. He was so excited. He was like, you know, I got this ball. And he ran up a few steps. And when he turned around, apparently he saw that that boy that he outreached was down there crying. 
He was sitting by his mom, had his head buried, and note without anyone saying anything to him, you know what that boy did? He went down and handed that ball to that other boy and went back to his seat. It just so happened that that action didn't go unnoticed. They had the camera on them because of that. And because of that little boy's gratitude or his graciousness and, and the gift that he had given to the other boy and not being selfish, uh, man, he, he got, you know, to sit in the skybox, got all kind of things. They really heaped it on him. He got all kind of neat things um, because of that. He didn't do it for those things, but he was rewarded because of it. That's the way discipleship works. I don't do what I do so that God will give me something. I do what I do because it's right and because it looks like Jesus. And and all those things that I do that are in private, nobody knows about, God will someday reward me for it because I'm a disciple. That's what disciples do. You know, we had the swords here Wednesday night, and um, Carrie shared some information with us from where he serves as a missionary in the Ukraine. You know... It, it sounded like a very difficult work. I've talked to several people that have worked over there and been over there, and, and it's not. They don't have the accommodations and the luxuries that we have. But as he gave his talk, I don't know, I was touched by the things that he said, the sacrifice that he and his family had been made, that had been made. But I also noticed one of you all go up to him after services and shake his hand and slip money in there that wasn't done to be seen. Nobody even knows. I just happened to see it. That's discipleship. Doing for others. God rewards eventually. But we don't do it for the reward. We do it because that's what Jesus would do if he had the ability. I want us to look at a couple things requirements of discipleship. I have three things that I want you to see. And the first requirement of discipleship, and and again, if you have your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 16. And I want us to look at one verse, and then the lesson will be yours. Matthew chapter 16. Look at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up a cross, and follow me. Do we need a shift in our discipleship? We might if we haven't done this. Number one, if we haven't put down some things. If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, you have to put something down. And what I'm talking about is yourself. You have to practice self-denial. You have to say no to self. I had a golf partner in, in Glasgow. We'd go golfing all the time. And one of the things that he would do, I'd hit the ball maybe over here and he'd hit it over here. And he drove and he would always go to his ball. And we'd pass mine or, or just leave. And I'd say, hey, my ball. And he went, oh, well, sorry, me, me, me. You know, it's all about him, he would say. And he would laugh about it. He'd go, me, me, me. Is that the way we live our lives? Me, me, me? Is it all about us? You can't be a disciple of Jesus and make it all about you. In fact, you have to make it not about you. When you become a disciple of Jesus, you're saying, 
I'm surrendering myself to and letting something else just overwhelm me, engulf me. I'm going to be about something else. How hard is it to say no to yourself? How hard is it to not do the things that are fun, but you know you shouldn't? How hard is it to get up and and do work when you'd rather play? How hard is it to um, use a day off in service to the Lord when you could use it for yourself? How hard is it to get the kids ready and get everybody to church on time and come back again Sunday evening or to come back on a Wednesday night? How hard is it? It's not easy. But it's what you buy into when you become a disciple of Jesus. He plainly says you have to deny yourself. So a disciple of Jesus is somebody that says, I'm through with myself. I, I live for another person now. And that really leads us to the second point. You also have to pick up something. And what he tells us we have to pick up is a cross. And I think we have missed and forgotten the significance of the cross. And I don't know that that message comes across as strongly as it does because of the way we handle the cross. The cross, the cross is jewelry. The cross is pretty. It's metal and it's shiny and they dangle from our ears and from necklaces and we tattoo them on our bodies and, and crosses, you know, the cross. It's just an icon. The cross was an instrument of death. When Jesus is telling his disciples, if you want to be one of my disciples, you have to pick up a cross. He's telling them, you have to die. Now, he wasn't saying physically, necessarily. What he's saying is, you have to die to yourself. That saying no to yourself, self-denial, it's to the point that you've got to put yourself to death. Um... Do we understand? In the first century, it's estimated by some scholars that there were over 30,000 people who were crucified by the Romans for a number of reasons. They would line them up. It wasn't uncommon for people in the first century to see a person hanging on a cross. They, they witnessed that. It would be appalling to us. I'm sure it was to them, but there's some degree of... Um, You become accustomed to certain things. It was an instrument of death. Everyone in the first century knew what the cross was all about. It wasn't something you dangled from your ears. It wasn't anything you tattooed on your body. It was a death sentence. And so when Jesus says, guys, all right, you want to be my disciple? Okay, you got to say no to yourself, and you got to take that cross there, and you got to pick that up. The only reason you'd pick up a cross is take it to your place of death. Jesus is inviting people to die. And that's what we need to do. We need to die to self. Is your life so wrapped up in God that it's not you that lives? Everything about you is just, it's about furthering the gospel. It's about furthering the kingdom. It's about what's doing what's best and behaving in a way that that promotes the gospel of Christ and his kingdom. It needs to consume us. You see, when you pick up a cross, you only have one thing to look forward to, and that's death. 
If you were living in the first century and a cross was thrown on your shoulders, the only thing you're going to be thinking about is how many steps until I'm nailed to this. That's all it was. There was nothing else. It was just death. When Jesus asks us to pick up our cross, he's saying, you've got to die. You've got to give up yourself. You've got to live for me. I don't know. There are so many of these zombie movies nowadays. You pick up and, you know, they, you know, you die and then you become a zombie and they only have one mission. They're dead, but they're still alive. But they have one thing in mind, getting the normal people. Um, Jesus says, Paul said in Galatians 2 and verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live, I, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I've, I've been there, I've done that. Yeah, I died. And look at his life. I mean, is there anything in the life of the Apostle Paul that you can look at and say, man, he's missing his focus. He's living for himself. What a selfish man. There, he needs to improve his, his relationship to Jesus. Man, everything about his life called out. He was dead and he was living for Jesus. Discipleship means that we live in such a way that we are dead. It's not about me anymore. It's not about my comfort, my desires. It's about how can I serve my Lord? How can I serve him in my family? How can I serve him in my marriage? How can I serve him at work? How can I serve him in my relationships with my friends? You die to self and you pick up a cross. And then he said, third, you follow him. See, that's where a lot of people get it wrong. They, they, they hear the invitation, repent and be baptized and your sins are forgiven. And so they run and they get baptized in the water and they rise up to walk in newness of life, but they forget to walk in that newness of life. They have their sins, their past sins forgiven, but they don't realize or have failed to comprehend that it's a lifestyle now. It, we have to follow Jesus. You don't stay where you are. We have to move to be a disciple of Christ. If we haven't understood that, we have some shifts to make in our life. You... you may have heard about the little boy who kept falling out of bed every night. Mom and dad would tuck him in, and then, boom, you know, after a few minutes, you know, you'd hear him hit the floor, and he'd cry, and, and they'd go up, and this happened for week after week. And finally, they went up and said, what is going on? Why do you keep falling out of bed? And the little boy said, I guess I'm just staying too close to where I got in. And that's what our problem is a lot of times as disciples. We stay too close to where we got in. We're not following Jesus. We're staying right there at the baptistry. Yeah, and we're hanging everything on that. I, I was baptized into Christ. Well, okay, but have you been following Jesus? That's what a disciple is. We may need to make some changes in how we view ourselves. Discipleship is more than just a one-time act of obedience. It is a life that's lived. It's a life that we don't even share with God. 
It's a life that we crucify ourselves to. Jesus said, if you lose your own life, you'll gain it. That's what he calls us to do. Deny yourself. Put yourself on a cross and follow me. And while we may not do it for the reward, while we may do it because that's what the Lord has told us to do, and we love him, God will reward us. There may be those of us here today who have not been the kind of disciple we should be. We need to make shifts. We've been living for ourselves. I haven't done a good job. You know, if somebody followed me for the last week, they'd never know I was a Christian. Or they wouldn't know it was the most important thing in my life. Maybe they'd know that I have some token alliance to it, but they would never, no way would they know if they'd never met me before that I am consumed with it. And you need to make a change, a shift in your discipleship. Uh, discipleship. Maybe you're a child of God and you realize, I haven't put myself to death. I haven't died. I've been living for myself. I, I haven't just surrendered myself fully to God and, and pursued His agenda. I, I've been busy doing my own thing. There's a price to pay to be a follower of Jesus. You deny yourself. You pick up a cross and you follow Him. If you're willing to make that decision this morning, we'll assist you in your obedience to Christ. And if you have made that decision in the past but haven't been faithful and you want the prayers of your brethren to be more faithful at that task, we'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.